BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Next Pat's Podcast is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the Next Pats Podcast. I'm Phil Perry. Loaded, loaded episode for you today as we get ready for the draft. We are just one week away, or just about one week away as we're recording this. And so, felt like a great time to do our annual crowd-sourced mock draft, putting all you geniuses together on one app, the old Birdie app, and seeing if you can come up with the best possible mock draft for the Patriots. We're going to run through that thing really quickly. We're going to talk about our best defensive fits based on the 1990s scouting report notes that Daniel Jeremiah unveiled for us just a few years ago when Bill Belichick was back with the Browns. Daniel Jeremiah used to work for the Ravens. Obviously, the Browns became the Ravens. There's a little bit of overlap there. He never worked for Bill Belichick, but he came across these notes from a scout who did. And Bill Belichick lays out his wish list for players and prospects at every single position offensively and defensively. So we'll hit you with the fits on the defensive side of things. You might be surprised. Some of the traits that Bill Belichick's looking for, I don't think have changed all that much since the early 90s when he was in Cleveland. So we'll hit you with the best fits according to those descriptions from Bill Belichick. And then we're going to bring on our friend Eric Froton from NBC Sports. He is all over all things draft, and he is specifically incredibly knowledgeable on these prospects that we're going to be talking about on day three of the draft. So last week we talked to Connor Rogers about day two fits at positions of need for the Patriots. Today we talked to Froton about day three fits in New England. He's been at all the all-star games. He was at the Shrine Bowl. So he watched the Patriots work closely with some of these players that will. Everybody knows it. It's basically what the Shrine Bowl is and has been for, for quite some time. The vast majority of those guys are day three guys. So what Eric is going to tell us and specifically some of the anecdotes he's going to give to us based on what he saw and heard about how the Patriots interacted with these players and specifically one fantastic story about Bill Belichick giving a locker room speech to these prospects that are trying to to showcase their skills to be drafted by Bill Belichick. Unbelievable stuff there from Eric. But before we get to that conversation, let's talk about this crowdsource mock. All right, now you're going to be able to find all of the details in terms of who the options were, how things went in terms of the percentage breakdown for the votes, but we got thousands of votes on this thing. Thank you to everybody who chipped in on this and contributed to this because I find it to be a fascinating exercise every year in terms of what the fans want when given the opportunity to make the picks themselves. And obviously I have to narrow things down. I can only provide four names at a time, but I just find this really interesting. And this year's interesting in that for the first pick for the new England Patriots, number 14 overall, I only gave the people three names. And the fourth option was trade out with Jacksonville, get their 24th pick and their 56th pick. If you move back far enough in the first round, you should be able to, 
according to the trade charts available to us, you should be able to add a second round pick with that trade down. So that's what the fans wanted. 51.6% of you voted to trade down. You're thinking like Bill Belichick. Maybe you've been brainwashed over the years. I actually think it's probably a good idea this year, given where the talent is in this year's class. Again, it depends on what's available to you at 14 overall. If Devin Witherspoon is there from Illinois, the corner, I don't think he should budge from that 14 overall slot. Anyway, you all said, now uh, we're going to pass on Paris Johnson. We're going to pass on Deontay Banks. We're going to pass on Dalton Kincaid. Tackle, corner, tight end. Eh. Let's get that 56th overall pick in the second round and be picking again at 24. Okay, so what happened there? Bad news. <laughs> and this is what the Patriots will have to weigh if they're making a similar decision when they're on the clock at 14 on night one. You could trade back and say, hey, what are the odds that Zay Flowers and Darnell Wright and Deontay Banks and Joey Porter aren't there for us at 24 overall? Well, in this scenario, they weren't. <laughs> None of those guys were still free. So the best four names that I could come up with that felt like Patriots fits were edge defender Miles Murphy from Clemson, corner Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State, 166-pound ball hawk, though, Emmanuel Forbes, really interesting player there. Tackle Dewan Jones from Ohio State and receiver Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee, who I think might sneak into the first round because if you're looking for a true boundary receiver, now he's a little bit light. But if you're looking for a true boundary player who has the speed to threaten defenses every time he's on the field, that's Jalen Hyatt. Jalen Hyatt, excuse me, for the Vols. Anyway, you all said get Mac Jones some protection. So you get Dewan Jones out of Ohio State. Just a behemoth human being. 6'8", 374 pounds. Over half of you voted for Dewan Jones. Okay, so we're on to the second round. First second round pick, 46 overall. You guys went with the theme here, which I love. And I find it interesting. Because if it played out this way, you can just imagine what Bill Belichick would want to do on the offensive side of the ball. You went with Darnell Washington for the second round pick at 46 overall. You passed on a corner. You passed on Jonathan Mingo, the receiver. You go with Darnell Washington, another monster human being, six foot seven, 264 pounds. So you took the biggest tackle in the draft, and then you took the biggest tight end in the draft. Think you're going to want to run on that right side behind Micah Wenu at 350 pounds? <laughs> then you've got Dewan Jones at right tackle at 374. And that might be light for him. He didn't even weigh in at his pro day, which is relatively rare. I wonder why. Is there a chance his weight began with a four? I think that's within the realm of possibility. And then Darnell Washington at 6'7", 264, another monster. You want to run the ball? You want to build around your best offensive player right now, which is Ramondre Stevenson? I'm half laughing as I say that because it just doesn't usually happen that way in the NFL for teams that are truly contending to be building around running backs. But... But if you want to be a run-heavy play-action team, these first two picks, they make some sense. They do. They make some sense, people. Okay, on to that second pick that you picked up from Jacksonville uh, in the second round. Julius Prince. Size, again, the biggest corner, arguably, in the draft. When it comes to six foot three, 198, 34-inch arms. This guy's got basically defensive end length arms at 198 pounds. Insanely quick, too. This is what I think will really interest the interest the Patriots 663 three cone 405 shuttle go back and listen to that episode that we had with Devin McCourty lateral quickness matters I don't know if he has the long speed that Devin was talking about at corner that you seem to need to have these days but 
if the Patriots are okay going with that little bit older mold of corner that they've gone with in the past, incredibly quick, even if they're not blazing fast, you add to that that Brents has all the size that a lot of these corners that the Patriots have drafted in the past haven't really had. I mean, they tried with Juwan Williams, but he wasn't nearly the athlete uh, that Julius Brents appears to be. So there's your second round pick, your second second round pick, Julius Brents out of Kansas State. You went with receiver Tyler Scott, friend of the podcast, in round three, gave your offense some explosiveness. So you go size, 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 and then you get one of the smallest receivers in the draft, but absolutely a big play waiting to happen. We had a great conversation with him here on the pod a few weeks ago, and we'll rip through these uh, day three picks here because we are through. Sorry, three, two, one. Because we are through the first, second, and third rounds. We're on to pick number 107 in the fourth round. Isaiah McGuire out of Missouri, sort of a, a, a heavier outside linebacker in the 260-pound mold range. Somebody who's going to be able to set an edge, play on early downs for you. I think could contribute in passing situations, but just a good, solid, strong player with good size, good length, somebody that you think Bill Belichick would probably like, especially after he competed in the SEC and had some success there. Averaged almost a tackle for loss per game in the last three seasons, Isaiah McGuire did. So he's a fourth-round pick. John Gaines is your next fourth-round pick. Great, great athlete out of UCLA. Tested incredibly. Uh, and played four positions, started at four positions for Chip Kelly in a diverse run game there. He feels like a perfect backup interior offensive lineman for the Patriots moving forward. And maybe he starts. Maybe Michael Wenu moves on. He's going into a contract year. And John Gaines is your right guard of the future. Deuce Vaughn. The people love Deuce. He blew people away. Could have went with Terrell Smith, the corner out of Minnesota, who played at the Shrine Bowl and played pretty well. Could have gone with Starling Thomas out of UAB. Really fast player. At a Really premium position. You go with the sub back, Deuce Vaughn. Well, pocket size player, but a really fun player uh, to give you some juice in the passing game there. And then we are now through our fourth round picks. And we're on to our sixth round picks. No fifth round picks for the Patriots. They hate picking in the fifth round. They still don't have a fifth round pick. Their first sixth round pick, though, we called that the specialist category. The options were Jake Moody, the kicker out of Michigan, the punter, Adam Corsack from Rutgers, the punter, Michael Turk out of Oklahoma, and the fullback slash special teamer, Derek Parrish out of Houston, who we talked about a little bit last week on the pod. They went with Jake Moody, the people did, 51% of the vote, so they get a kicker to push Nick Folk. Last time the Patriots went with a kicker from Michigan, didn't go all that great. He was an undrafted rookie, didn't really matter. But uh, Jake Moody, maybe things will work differently for him. Another Shrine Bowl guy, he's sensing a theme here. It's going to continue. Bryce Ford Wheaton is the next sixth round pick. All kinds of size and speed, 43840 at six foot four, 221 pounds, a special teams option as well. Uh, so you went with him over Matt Landers from Arkansas, David Durden from West Florida, this uh, Division II player with some really great athleticism, and Andre Yosevas from Princeton. Uh, another excellent, excellent athlete. We're just looking for some height, weight, speed options for you guys there. And you went with Bryce Ford Wheaton. Then we go with the quarterback category. Dorian Thompson-Robinson is the pick for you all there. That was our uh, first seventh round pick. There's a second seventh round pick upcoming here. More Shrine Bowl options. All front seven guys. Uh, this one surprised me a little bit, but maybe it shouldn't have. Jose Ramirez, to me, is a, a under-the-radar sort of sub-rush specialty option that we should have our eyes on because he was a Shrine Bowl guy and because he looks really dynamic, even if he's a little bit light. You know, if you're if you're trying to prep for the future, potentially without Josh Uche, again, going into a contract year, Jose Ramirez uh, might be somebody as a developmental player that you'd want to invest in. 
But the people, the people went with the off the ball linebacker, Isaiah Moore out of NC State, who the Patriots were supposedly enamored with out in Vegas during that triangle. So Gerard Mayo, Steve Belichick, those linebackers, coaches for the Patriots, maybe they fell in love with Isaiah Moore for the Wolfpack. And he ends up their last pick as he was in our crowd source mock. Thanks again to everybody who contributed there. Again, I just find that to be a lot of fun. Helps us go through a lot of names. You can find all of the names that we used on my Twitter page at Phil A. Perry. Uh, I'll be writing about that a little bit later this week as well. Now, let's get to our prospects who fit the 90s. <laughs> this sounds crazy, I know, but the 90s scouting report from Bill Belichick that laid out what he's looking for at every single position. All right, so we'll do the defense here today. We'll run through it quickly. All of the write-ups, again, on NBCSportsBoston.com. Go ahead, check those out. This is another Fun annual exercise that I love to dig into because it feels like we find fits just a couple years ago. The best fit, according to the Bill Belichick scouting report from 1991 at quarterback, was Mac Jones. The best fit at quote-unquote defensive end, so 3-4 defensive end because we're talking about 3-4 base defense in these, these defensive scouting reports here. The best fit was Christian Barmore. They're your first two picks. They came right off this list. So, Let's get into it. Belichick's wish list at defensive tackle, nose tackle. He's looking for inside guys. He wants explosive quickness, can play well in a fairly confined space. That player to me this year is Mozzie Smith from Michigan. He was number one on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. He is a massive human being, six foot three, 323 pounds. I think he could easily get up to the 330 range if they felt like he needed more uh, weight to play nose tackle and truly two gap. Uh, but he's got all kinds of athleticism and explosiveness at that size. He's a perfect fit for what Bill Belichick wanted back in the day. How about a defensive end? Again, this is your 3-4 your defensive end. So think Richard Seymour, think Christian Barmore, taller, longer, closer to 300 pounds and maybe 310 pounds than 330 pounds, like a, like a nose tackle. So for me, that option this year was Gervon Dexter, who is a really interesting player at 6'6", 310. He has all the size and length that you'd want. He ran a 4.88 40-yard dash helped give him a relative athletic score of 9.52 phenomenal. So really great athleticism stout against the run uh, still growing into his frame, which is really important. You know, Bill Belichick, when he, when he lays out what he wants here, he says, number one, you can't get knocked off the line. Got to be good against the run. Got to be able to hold up against double teams. Number two, size over speed at defensive end. So Dexter has speed, but he also has that size and that length pressure up the middle for a QB can cause more problems than, guys running around the corner. And then number four, Bill Belichick says on these notes, frame and growth potential are very important. Dexter's going to be 21 years old when he gets drafted. And he has the kind of frame that the Patriots can potentially mold into what they want at the pro level. And maybe he becomes a better player than anything he showed at Florida. He's a little slow off the snap. It's sort of an odd quirk to his game. Uh, but if they can get that straightened out, that could be a, a uh, really high-end sort of boom or bust, honestly, type of pick. Second, maybe third round, Gervon Dexter. Okay, outside linebacker. So these are your edge guys, your Matt Judons, your Josh Uches, your Anthony Jenningses. Uh, your back in the day was, you know, Rob Ninkovich or Mike Vrabel, Willie McGinnis. You know, they all would fit this category. So a lot of different body types there that I just mentioned. Some smaller than others, some really light, but with great speed, some really powerful, uh, but also quick. The, the option that made the most sense to me was Miles Murphy out of Clemson, who we just mentioned uh, was one of our options in our crowdsource mock. And he actually put on Instagram that he was in Foxborough this week. First round pick 
And this is the description Bill Belichick wants at outside linebacker, big rangy guy who can run. If you can get them, uh, they're usually first round picks settle for guys who can stay on the line, long arms, quick hands. The six, two outside linebackers are hard to like, even if they can run upfield. they're small with no range. So you need size, speed, and athletic ability. Miles Murphy is all of that. He has the size six foot five, 268 pounds. He has plenty of speed ran a four, five, three 40. That's ridiculous for somebody that size, great length, 34 inch arms, is he the most dynamic pass rusher in this year's class? No, but he checks all those boxes for Bill Belichick. Maybe we should have him on our radar as a potential first-round pick for New England. He was somebody who was talked about as maybe a top-10 guy not all that long ago. Now you see some mocks don't even have him in the first round, so I'm fascinated to see where he ends up. At inside linebacker, we know what this looks like, right? Big, strong, take guards head-on. There's really one option for me in this class. It's Jack Campbell. Uh Great quickness, so he can play in a phone booth. Three seven four three cone, ninety fifth percentile of all linebackers last twenty years at the combine. Uh, but six five two fifty one, they don't make them like that anymore. But that's Jack Campbell. He, he won the Buckus Award and the Campbell Trophy, which is also known as the Academic Heisman. So he's going to be able to to make all those calls and have the intelligence to be able to keep up with things there. Uh, really good option for the Patriots at safety. Bill Belichick says safeties want tacklers, want to be at least two hundred pounds, speed four five to four six range. You know, to me, the guy who checks the most boxes at this position in a weak class at safety is Jordan Battle from Alabama. 6'1, 209. So he hits that 200 pound mark, 4'5, 540. He's not a burner, but he's fast enough, according to this description from Bill Belichick. Great tackler, great special teamer for Nick Saban. He was a captain there. Perfect fit for this list. At corner, he says you want tackle and force guys. You need one pure cover corner, 5'10 range and up. Can't put guys in the field who can't tackle. Size becomes a factor. Okay. At the end of his description here, you can read the whole thing again on the website. But the end, he says something interesting. Belichick does. Again, this is via the scout who's taking notes in a Bill Belichick meeting. Five potential problems. One, tackling. Two, selfishness. Three, you need size. Big, physical, strong guys. Four, you need competitiveness. Guys that play hard for 60 minutes. What does a guy do on the PAT? Five, need symmetry on defense. Okay. Who fits that best? To me, it's Deontay Banks from Maryland, who was the fit that we mentioned after Devin McCourty described what he wanted in a corner in New England or what he thought the Patriots wanted in a corner in New England. Why does he fit? Well, he has the speed. He can cover. He loves to hit. And what does he do on the PAT? What do we think about Deontay Banks and his effort? He's the only one of the top-end corners in this year's class, and there's a bunch of them, that are considered potential first-round picks with a blocked point-after attempt or extra point on his resume. Got one last year. A lot of fun doing that every week. Next week on the podcast, we'll lay out uh, the offensive players that fit this list. Uh, but right now, we're going to get to our conversation with Eric Froton. So much good intel, so much good insight on some of these names that we haven't heard much about or know much about um, because they're they're generally considered day three guys. But the Patriots have so many picks this year on day three. These are names that we should be interested in. And we've seen so many day three players turn into stars for the Patriots in the past. Some names we should know from our guy, Eric Froton. Here he is. There he is. There's our guy. Eric, thanks so much for being on the next Pats podcast here with us. We need to, need to, need to, as as a as a podcast host, and I'll speak for some of our listeners as well. People who are coming to the draft a little later. Okay, let's be honest, much later than you. <laughs> 
we need to tap into your knowledge. We need to tap into your understanding of the prospects that go beyond the names that we become relatively familiar with here over the last couple of weeks. We're talking day two, day three. Who knows? Maybe even let's get crazy. Let's even maybe talk about some undrafted guys. What do you Whoa. say? This will be some fun. All right. With us. All right. You're testing my skills here. I'm ready to roll, Phil. Well, I do feel like it's it's we're getting close enough to the draft that we should be talking about these later round guys, these quote unquote sleepers. And some of them, though, uh, are not necessarily sleepers to people like you because they show up at these collegiate all star games and they're all stars. But some of them won't end up being drafted right there. Not everybody's a, a senior bowl guy who may be a, a a day one or a day two pick. You went to the Shrine Bowl. We know the Patriots coached at the Shrine Bowl. I first, before we get into the nitty gritty with some of these names, I need to get your best Shrine Bowl, I guess, little anecdote that you noticed from watching specifically the Patriots go about their business there as the coaching staff for the West team. Sure. Well, uh, it, it's it kind of starts off my my uh, Shrine Bowl process was actually in L.A. because the NFL PA Bowl led into the Shrine Bowl. So I actually ended up going up to L.A. for a couple of days to see how Jeff Fisher and Eddie George ran their respective teams. So it was, um, you know, going from the NFL PA Bowl, then driving over to Las Vegas and hitting the shrine and seeing the Patriots and the Falcons coaches who are handling those two teams. It was a dramatic change in tone from the practices I saw at the NFL PA. And then, you know, fortunately the Falcons led the morning session of the first Shrine Bowl practices. So I got to see, you know, what three different operations looked like when it comes to this postseason evaluation process and how they run their practices. Then the Patriots took the field with their team in the Shrine Bowl. And uh, let's just say the mood changed. There was no music. <laughs> there's no, you know, there's no fooling around. There's no frog. There's no, no joking. All business right out of the gate. And they, you know, the entire staff was there. Troy Brown was the honorary head coach, but that was honorary in name only because Bill Belichick was out there specifically on all those eights, the eight on eights for the line drills, for all that stuff. Anything related to the defense of our offensive line, Bill was out there personally hands-on coaching these guys. And sometimes it was just almost comical to watch, you know, because he was he was all business. A lot of these coaches just sort of check it in. Oh, okay, I'm just watching it. Right in there coaching. It's what he loves and you know it. That being said, one little anecdote, if I had to put it out, um, after the practice sessions, I was speaking with Scott Matlock, a IDL for Boise State, who had a really, uh, he was at the NFL table, got the kick up to the Shrine Bowl and uh, told me a story about how before day three, uh, they're in the locker room, the Patriots coach team. And Bill comes in right before they're about to walk out and just sort of calls a little huddle. And steps in. And these were all kids that are, these are kids, you know, going to try to be NFL players. Just uh, steps in and says, just wanted to let you all know before you step out on that field. I haven't seen one single player here that could beat out the worst player on our team. You're terrible. You don't belong here. And you better get out there and show us something or you're never going to make the NFL. And he walked right out the door and went to practice classic bill right there that's incredible Just and i honestly so <laughs> here's the thing eric was he lying was he lying <laughs> yeah he was getting him going he, i think he likes to get him going yeah that, that's, great. He was getting that's, him going. that's a memory that those guys will have 
forever, right? I mean, I'm sure you probably felt like you could run through a wall at that point in time. Like, even if you feel like you're a late pick, you're still one of the best, if not the best player on your college team. And to be spoken to in that manner <laughs> is not something those guys are used to. I'm sure that's a tremendous, tremendous. How did the practice go? I got to ask you that. I mean, was it, was it a, a, another level of energy at that point or were there guys like sulking? Well, oh, man, the greatest coach in the history of the sport just told me I suck. Uh, I would say it was spirited in terms of, uh, of the cracking pads, like every pad, every practice they went through was for real, like cracking pads, Hitting helmets, uh, much more physical than what I had seen for the previous, you know, three practice sessions and how they were run. So it was immediately obvious right out of the gate. And it's funny that Matt Locke told me that story. He went and looked at one of the the defensive line, uh, one of the coaches, and just, you know, eyes wide, like, huh. And they just looked at him and said, hey, man, that's just how it is. That's how it goes. Ask Tom Brady. Yeah. Tom- Tom Brady used to have to sit in the front front row of Patriots meetings and be told that there was a quarterback at Foxborough High who, who could throw it better than he could. So that that is that is classic Bill Belichick. And those are the kinds of anecdotes you get by being on the ground at some of these games that you are over the course of the pre-draft process. Eric, Eric, let's get let's get into some names again. Want to tap into your brain for some sleepers here. And I'm thinking specifically for positions that we see as Patriots needs, but maybe they're not able to fill them all in the first or second round, right? Maybe they miss out on tackles in the first round or they wait on a corner because they feel like it's a pretty deep class. Um, let's start Let's start with the big uglies, okay? Let's start with the offensive line and tackle specifically. Is there a, is there a day three name that you look at? And this is tough. I'll, I'll just say that right off the bat because we know if you have the physical skill set to play tackle in the NFL, odds are, you get drafted in the first round. You get drafted in the top half of the first round, right? So sure. is there a guy, though, who is a day three player that you look at and say, with the right coaching, right program, this guy could make it as a starter at the next level? Is there a day three name that you could think of, Eric, that fits those sort of characteristics? Oh, yeah, sure. And keep in mind, you know, this is the Patriots. Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, six, uh, four sixth-round picks. So – um, these are players that are going to be out there on the practice squad. A guy that I liked at tackle, uh, again, a Shrine Bowl participant, because, you know, I, I can get my eyes on these guys. Uh, I liked John Ojukwu for Boise State. Um, you, you just saw the way that he was able to handle power. And, you know, coming from a G5 level, you know, he, he was down a level. So those guys have even more to prove than the Power 5 guys when they're coming up. And, you know, he was dealing with some pretty powerful rushers uh, on the edge there. That we were Habakkuk Baldonado from Pitt uh, had an incredible camp. Tyrus Wheat, he was on the Patriots side. They coached him. In fact, I I heard you know a, a couple of uh, of rumors that they were very interested with Tyrus Wheat and the way he performed as an edge. So he was dealing, and, and Brenton Cox too for Florida. So there were some pretty physical big edges um, that were at the Senior Bowl, and I thought. Ajukwu, while his kick set might be a little, um, you know, not as quick as you'd like to see from possibly a left tackle, I think if you're looking at him, the possibility of him at right tackle down the board in that round six with the glut of picks you have in the late 100s, uh, he could be a pretty nice swing tackle option that in a year or two, I think he could develop into somebody that could, uh, you know, be an asset, uh, maybe never a full time starter, but we're talking six round, and, and I think he can play. 
I love that you brought that name up. He actually, he did make our list of prototypical Patriots and I'm not able to watch these guys necessarily in person the way that you are, but given the data that we have and understanding where some of these guys are coming from and their experience level, you know, Juku stood out as a, as a late round option because of his physical traits. I mean, he's got 11 inch hands, 34 inch. He's got enough in the way of size at six foot five, but some of the change of direction stuff was really impressed about four and a half seconds in the short shuttle. That's 87th percentile, according to mockdraftable.com. So a really good athlete, you know, and again, you don't see guys that big move in that way. Usually they get drafted really highly. If this guy's available in the sixth round, he sounds like a, a Patriots type. Yeah, his his 4.52 shuttle, that's a 93rd percentile score. You don't see tackles like this at a 6.6, you know, 3.10, dropping shuttles like that. Um, and just about everything, you know, across the board, 8.7 uh, in terms of his relative athletic score. That's a, I mean, he's got the athleticism to play. It's just a matter of polishing him up. And and I saw the streak that he has out there on the field. I know he's got a little bit of meanness and, uh, and I like a little bit of an edge on my, on my tackles and my offensive linemen who want to get in, and throw people's face in the mud every once in a while. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, nothing wrong with that at all. And if he performed well, if they like Tyus Wheat, who I think the Patriots mm-hmm. would like, he fe- he feels like sort of a a base, and you know they're they're using these outside linebacker types more. But he feels like you know almost more of a maybe not the pass rush juice of a Matt Judon, but in terms of like height and weight, somebody that you'd feel comfortable with playing on early downs on the edge there. If they felt like he performed well against Wheat, and they like Wheat, you know you could certainly see them making a move for a Juku. Okay, let's go. Let's stay on the offensive side of the ball, but let's go to a little bit of a sexier position. Let's go to the receiver spot, Eric. And it just feels like every single year, the draft is loaded with receivers. This year is a little bit different. Maybe it doesn't feel like there's quite the high end, high, high end talent where we're going to see, you know, maybe a top 10 pick at this position, maybe only a couple of first rounders at this position, but it does feel like there are options through the end of the draft and maybe after the draft who could end up playing in this league. Who do you like the most of that tier of receiver, those day three guys? Well, with this wide receiver class, what I think it's important for everybody to, to understand is that, you know, the previous two classes were a couple of great ones. You know, I mean, there's there's really no getting around it. Um, But that being said this year, it's more slanted at the top around most analysts that you see with the smaller receivers. And, and what I mean is this, you look at Jackson Smith and Jigba, not small, you know, six foot and a half, um, you know, 197. So like he's, he's right in the ballpark needs to be, but Zay, we know Zay Flowers. He, he, uh, you know, was listed at 172, checks in at 182, which is excellent. And you saw like the, the development of his frame, but he's small. She's five, nine and a quarter. Jordan Addison, five, 11, 173. And Josh Downs, another, you know, 5'10", uh, 175. So those top guys coming into the process on the smaller side, really slot types. The only one you could really look at would be Jackson Smith and Jigba, who could play on the outside. And I think he can. Um, I don't think he will be there at 14. I do think he probably goes at, at 11 to Tennessee if they don't trade up or 12 um, to Houston since, let's face it, they need weapons. Out goes Brandon Cooks, and they're really relying on just kind of tertiary receivers. But um, I think that presents a buying opportunity for some of the bigger wideouts down the board that I think the Patriots will be able to take a look at in the third, fourth round. 
Uh, specifically, Bryce Ford Wheaton, a wide receiver from West Virginia, a Shrine Bowl guy, uh, tested out as legitimately just a tick below Megatron when it comes to his athletic comps. A 9.97 relative athletic score. And, you know, the testing was ridiculous. 43840, 1-5-2, 10-yard split for a guy who is 6'4", 221. That's an otherworldly number. His shuttle, 4.15, almost a four-second shuttle. That's excellent. The problem that he had was uh, the quarterback room over there at West Virginia. Okay, so they brought in uh, JT Daniels, uh, former – God, he's, he's been at like four different schools at this point. He's now landed at Rice. But he had a few games where he was actually you know competent quarterback play. And then he went and got hurt, and they have a dual-threat quarterback coming in at West Virginia and Garrett Green, who just simply was averse to the forward pass. They had to change their whole offensive system. It was kind of like what Auburn went through with Robbie Ashford, um, going from a pro-style quarterback to a dual-threat. So for the second half of the season, Ford Wheaton couldn't do anything. He, he was barely on the stat sheet, and he was just taking quick hitches and just trying to make something out of him just through sheer force of will because he's, he's a freak. And he was able to do okay in that realm, but you got a you got some real low-level quarterbacks in college. And when you're talking about the second guy behind an already unstable quarterback position, that's going to affect receivers. So um, that's in terms of a guy that I look at fourth, fifth round. Give me some Bryce Ford Wheaton, another big receiver. If we're going down there and, and we're looking for a potential value, Jonathan Mingo for Ole Miss. I was at the combine last year. And both Braylon Sanders and Dontario Drummond, who were the top wide receivers for Ole Miss in 2021, Lane Kiffin, head coach, very, very advanced offensive system. So uh, I talked to both of them to combine and said, look, you know, who is the guy that's next? You guys are here in 2021, you know, getting ready to get drafted. Who's the next guy? And even though Mingo was hurt in 2021, both of them full-throated defense saying, get ready for Jonathan Mingo. He's got the size. He's on the bigger side. He tested again like a freak. And those are the guys that really come up that you want to have in that fourth round range, maybe third round you could get in Mingo. Um, so there's a, another couple guys because, as I know you know, Phil, how how long is this Devontae Parker experiment going to last? I, I, want an, I want an off-ramp from him. Be it Michael Wilson as well, Stanford, another guy who had a bad quarterback situation, bad court, bad offensive coordinator. I think we should be looking at one of those guys in that third, fourth, fifth, even down the sixth, seventh round. If you want to get, want to, get to another big receiver um, like Justin Shorter for Florida, again in that two twenty, two twenty five range, you can get down the board. That is an incredible athlete. So I think that there's going to be value presented down the board for where we can get an outside shot. Um, but I do think if we want to replace Jacoby Myers, uh, which I think, you know, everybody kind of wants to, I don't know if you can look at Juju Smith-Schuster and say, you know, that's what we want long-term, but we're probably going to be looking at it at a smaller receiver as well. It could be potentially a Nathaniel Dell from Houston who lit up the senior bowl. Nobody could stay with him. Um, I'm afraid he might go a little too high for their tastes, but, um, you know, if we want a, an interior presence, perhaps, uh, Parker Washington for Penn State. He's like 212, 215 at 5'11. So he's got that, the AJ Brown proportions. Very tough over the middle, crafty. Uh, isn't going to be a big speed burner, probably in the 455 range to take the top off, but he's a crafty underneath 
uh, you know, slot receiver that can take a shot over the middle and make contested catches. And I think that that's something we could look at in the fourth, fifth round. Yeah, it's what's really interesting about this receiver position for the Patriots right now, Eric, is I think they're going to be interested in both boundary options and slot options because even though they just signed Juju Smith-Schuster, I still feel as though they could use somebody who separates very quickly, right? Juju Smith has the toughness and the hands to work over the middle. We understand that. Good size to be able to stave off defenders, but they don't have that Troy Brown kind of presence or that Wes Welker kind of Julian Edelman who can uncover in two seconds, maybe even less than that, uh, and, and really be sort of a security blanket for Mac Jones. But then on the outside, you mentioned it, Devontae Parker, he's not the long-term answer here. And the other guys that they have, Tyquan Thornton, Kendrick Bourne, I feel like are more Z types of options, like can play a little bit inside and out. I don't know if you want them living outside the numbers. So I think they could be interested in both. I love the the Bryce Ford Wheaton name. You brought up another Shrine Bowl name, Justin Shorter. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, physical talent there out in Vegas for the Shrine Bowl. They had a chance to really watch these guys up close and personal and and really maybe get to like them. And so maybe these are guys that we should pay attention to more so on day three. I did have one name that I wanted to just throw at you at this position because, again, physically he is so impressive. But in terms of his production at the college level, it doesn't feel like it was there until this past year. It's Matt Landers from Arkansas. So he was with Georgia, as my understanding, for several years, had 12 catches in four years at Georgia, goes to Toledo, then to Arkansas, and he ends up with a pretty good year last year, over 900 yards, eight touchdowns. But my goodness, 6'4", 200 pounds, 437, and a 10-10 broad jump, like explosive speed, size, why didn't the light come on a little bit sooner for Landers, and why are we talking about him as a, as a late draft option? Oh, gosh, I'm so glad you brought up Matt Landers. And, and frankly, I, I'm, so, I'm slightly humiliated I didn't bring it up earlier in my big wide receiver discussion because Matt Landers is a guy that, you know, as, uh, as part of my background, I'm a big college fantasy football guy. I've been doing it for 23 years. So all these players from a skill position point of view, I've been scouting them for five years. So this is – finishing school um, with Matt Landers. He's a guy that, like you said, went into Georgia, very crowded wide receiver room in there. You know, he, he's coming in during the George Pickens era, you know, when he was there and then Adonai Mitchell comes in and um, you know, it was just kind of a numbers game, but he goes to Toledo and in the second half of 2021 uh, with Daquan Finn throwing him the ball, he's a quarterback that really emerged and, you know, is uh, is a real high end group of five quarterback, but, he ended up really doing well in the second half of the season where like a, a slot receiver, Jay Sean Polk was predicted to be the top guy. And Landers just, as soon as he got, you know, he transferred that off season, as soon as he got acclimated to the offense, which they, they have, they're definitely in terms of the Mac, uh, I would say probably the, one of the two most consistent programs in that conference. Cause Jason Candle, their head coach is a very successful offense coordinator. They're always advanced in their schemes. But um, with Landers, he just was toasting people down the sideline that entire second half of 2021 to where it became clear that he belonged in the SEC. So he goes and transfers over to Arkansas along with Jadon Hazelwood, who was another Shrine Bowl uh, contender. And the two of them sort of replaced uh, – it was like the two of them replaced Traylon Burks because mm. you had Jaden Hazelwood who would do sort of the inside-outside yeah, sort of the intermediate and short work. And he's very good technically, but he doesn't have the high end speed to, to take the top off. 
you would see Lander as, as the true X, as you kind of discussed, you know, the, the Pats have mostly Z's, just doing that downfield role. And he did it to perfection. K.J. Jefferson, their, their quarterback, he's pretty much the reason why he had a 96, 97 uh, deep passing grade is because of his downfield acumen. So I am a big fan of Matt Landers. I had a lot of shares of him in the college fantasy realm last year. And I think that in the, in the sixth round, I would be thrilled to see him come in camp and be able to, to show what he can do on the outside. Cause like you talk about with Tyquan Thornton, the one thing I have about him, he's got sub four, three speed BMI concerns. He's like a buck mm-hmm. 80 at six, three. Um, how is that going to affect him adjusting to jams and being kind of had hands put on him at the line? So yeah, it's good to have a secondary option behind him. No question. And, and even staying on the field at that weight, yeah. right? I, I believe it was, and I'll have to go back and look. I think it was basically, Eric, it was his first pro tackle, got him hurt. In the preseason, a bunch of guys basically jumped on top of him on the sideline uh, in a preseason game, but he ended up having to miss the first few weeks of the season. And as a rookie, it's really hard to get caught up to speed at that point. He ended up playing a lot for the Patriots, just the production wasn't there in a huge way. So they're definitely still looking at this position. You gave us a, a bunch of, I think, really intriguing options there because Bill Belichick, his history at that position has been go get the freaky athlete guy. And and you just gave us a bunch of names to keep a close eye on. Is there, let's talk about the other side of the ball now at the corner position. Is there a, is there a Matt Landers at corner? Is there a freak athlete that, that has really good size that might, again, if you somehow miss in the first, second round and you end up waiting to day three to try to give yourselves a, a boundary corner, which is really what they need. They have a lot of smaller bodies here, Eric, yes, right? With Marcus Jones, Jack Jones, John, all the Jones yeah. brothers, oh. you know, undersize, um, you know, to the nth degree at that position. So is there a bigger guy that you like for the Patriots on day three? Yeah, there is. Um, there is a cornerback again you know i'm kind of reaching into my bag of shrine bowl guys because that's really the senior bowl is the the tippity top uh showcase but then the shrine bowl is where these fifth sixth seventh round guys most of them go to the shrine bowl so i i feel kind of fortunate in that that respect because i got to see up close and personal terrell smith from minnesota uh just an absolute freak 6 207 that's that is literally right in the the wheelhouse for what pretty much every cornerback uh, you know coach is looking for in size for a cornerback. And the thing about him is, you look at him in pads. I remember seeing him at first, and uh, you know before I'm I'm really acclimated to what they are. First practice, and he looks like a box safety. You know, not even a single high safety. He looks like a box safety in pads. Uh, and that he's ready to crash down and, and you know, take on blockers and pulling linemen. But he's out there on an island on the outside, and he's covering all these receivers that we're talking about here that I got eyes on. And he is physical. He is staying in phase. He's not getting fooled. Uh, I was shocked at how agile he was for the 207 pounds that he was weighing in at. And he made an indelible impact. Uh, made my all shrine bowl team. Uh, I saw him on a couple other all shrine bowl lists. And then in terms of his testing, very good uh, combine wise. So I think, you know, in terms of a guy who has those physical attributes, the face the Patriots need, they got to get a little bigger out there. They got to go to more physical. You know, I, we all love Marcus Jones. What an incredible value he was from Houston. And he's a guy whose tape I loved, but there were certain physical limitations to the position. I think he'd be incredible. 
Um, Catrell Clark for Louisville, he's on the smaller side, but he was great at the Shrine Bowl. But another guy who on the bigger side I would go with, Lance Boykin for Coastal Carolina. And if we're getting into UDFA territory, you know, he's probably in that 6th, 7th UDFA territory here. Um, you saw him against specifically, specifically Antoine Green for UNC. Boykin and Green had a couple of, you know, pretty much all week long, we're having some serious battles. And he lost a couple. You know, Antoine Green really showed up and showed me he had some gumption out there. So um, I was impressed with that. But, man, Boykin, um, Coastal Carolina, uh, that's one of the best G5 programs you're going to see when it comes to developing talent. Talent uh, Just came up to the D1 level a couple years ago where their former head coach, uh, Bill Moglia, was actually – it's an incredible story. Bill Moglia was a like a hedge fund trader uh, on Wall Street and just was done with it. Went, became a the head coach of Coastal Carolina, brought him up to the D1 level. And then in comes Jamie Chadwell, who was there for the past few years. And um, really, that that just an incredible uh, program that has done nothing but take three stars and make them completely rock-solid college players. And then even, you know, graduating up, we've seen a couple of CCU players on the defensive side of the ball. That being said, Lance Boykin uh, had no problem physically matching up with everybody. A little bit on the agility side, maybe could get himself in a little bit of trouble. But when we're talking about down the board, big corners, six foot, two hundred pound range, um, guys that we could have that I think could develop. Lance Boykin is at that is on that list. I have one name I want to throw at you because it's one of my favorite my favorite names in the draft. But he also looks like kind of a freaky athlete with pretty good size. He's not, you know, maybe you don't look at him and you say, okay, this guy is going to be able to run with every ex receiver that is on the Patriots schedule, but Starling Thomas, the fifth out of Star- UAB. I, oh, so, yeah. so this guy, oh, yeah. obviously he catches your eye in terms of the numbers for somebody like me, Eric, because he runs a four, three, eight 40 and he's got a 37 and a half inch vertical. And, you know, I, it looks like he had some pretty good production in CUSA. It was considered one of the best corners in that conference there. So uh, is that a name that, you think in a man-heavy scheme, right? This is what Bill Belichick wants to do. He, he moved away from it a little bit this past year, but I really think it was because of personnel. I think in his heart of hearts, if he feels like he has the horses to do it, he wants to play a lot of man coverage. Is is Starling Thomas maybe a late name that we should pay attention to? Oh, hell yeah, he is. Another Shrine Bowl guy. Trust me. Starling Thomas stood out in those Shrine Bowl practices. Another guy, he was on my all Shrine Bowl team as well. Um the thing that I really liked about him is we'll actually get to Bryce Ford Wheaton um, at the Shrine Bowl. You get incredible access to these kids. So I talked to like 40, 50 of these kids that, uh, that were there. Uh, when I talked to Bryce Ford Wheaton, he talked about how he didn't face many jams or, you know, upfront bump and run, you know, press man coverage in college. And he said that was a big adjustment that he had to make to make during the week at the Shrine Bowl. Two guys he talked about that he specifically pointed out as, as giving him hell. One was Eric Stokes, uh, G5, again, on the small side. You know, not too small. He's he's about average. Um, but he went to Southern Miss, and I had a great defense last year. He was a dog, and he was in pocket the whole uh, – pretty much every practice. I really liked what I saw with, from him. But then the other one he mentioned was Starling Thomas for UAB. And that's another team where – you know, you, you'll hear for these G5 guys, you'll notice that the ones that are being mentioned are group of five players from established programs. UAB is, when it comes to defensive play, 
uh, at the group of five in the CUSA play, the best in the CUSA. Always, year in, year out, you can go to UAB and you know what you're going to get, and you're going to get good, solid coaching, and you're going to get uh, players who are developed. So that it's no secret why Starlin Thomas is here. Great athlete. Um, you know, good job being recruited by them over there uh, at UAB. And then what he brought to the table at the Shrine Bowl, it's obvious. There's no doubt, you know, why you you asked me about him, I'm sure. I know that you do your work, Phil. Uh, I'm very impressed with your preparation here for next Pats. And uh, that's definitely a guy that I would like to see in a Patriots uniform. All right, last position. We have to hit you with one more because this is, this is I think, a sneaky need for the Patriots. Josh Uche. Uh, is coming up on a contract year. Judon has a couple years left. They don't have a ton of – they have Dietrich Wise, who's sort of an inside-outside option. They don't have a ton of true edge depth. And we already mentioned uh, Tyrus Wheat, uh, Mississippi State, Shrine Bowl guy. But is there is there another day three option um, who might be – you know, maybe not necessarily in the Wheat mold, although we'll take any mold you'll give us, Eric. Yeah, but, he's a little shorter. Uh, yeah, a little shorter Wheat, arms. Yep. And, and Uche is really – he's become a, a pass rush specialist, right? Is there, is there a, is there somebody who has that craft, uh, you know, pretty much locked down, but for whatever reason, size concerns, other concerns, he he's going to slide a little bit in the draft. Might not be a three down guy, but in those critical situations, third down, you want to get your pass rushers out there. You might be comfortable calling on this guy. Sure. If there was one, if my favorite sleeper edge that I would like to see the Pats give a shot it kind of fits this mold. You're probably looking four or five round territory for him. But I like Yaya Diaby from Louisville. Um, 6'3", 263. So he's got the bulk to play uh, on that edge. But then uh, 10, and, 10 and a half inch hands. Like seeing that. Uh, 34 inch arms. But his athleticism. I mean, his movement skills and his power. Like his lower body power is legit. 37 inch vert, you know, at 263. Uh, 10 foot broad, both of them in 94th percentile marks, ran a 4-5-1-40 with a 1-5-1 split. That 1-5-1 split is a 99.9th percentile mark. Overall, for you know, in athleticism, he's a 9.86. That's as close to perfect as you're going to get. And this is a guy where Diaby's raw, but you can see that this guy has, like, if you can get him and mold him a little bit and, and fine tune some of the technical aspects of it, um, you know, give him a little more diverse toolkit uh, on the rush, you know, uh, help him with his hands a little bit, give him a little bit of a, you know, maybe like a, a little hop chop kind of a move, you know, it just refine him a little bit. I think he has everything it takes uh, to be incredible. I think that he can stand up as a base, uh, you know, setting the edge in run support. I think he can take on, you know, those left tackles, uh, pulling linemen who are trying to stand him up. I, I think he doesn't give ground in those circumstances. So I think that, um, you know, fourth, fifth round, in such a great edge class. And I sincerely do believe, I think this edge class is excellent. So with saying that Diaby is going to be down there in the fourth, fifth round, it's not even a knock on him. It's just, there's so much talent. Like the top 10, it was hard for me to just pick out 10. I feel like there's like 15 guys that I could look at and say, okay, you know, I, they can all play. And D Diaby is definitely in that mix. Man, the, some of the numbers that you rattle off there. I mean, that 10-yard split is so ridiculously rare. I mean, that is 
if memory serves, that that is about the same 10 yard split that Christian Gonzalez, who might be the most, you know, pound for pound, one of the most athletic players in the entire draft, the corner out of Oregon, might be a top 10 pick. That's about the same 10 yard split that he had. I, so at 260 some odd pounds, that is freakish. Those those guys don't grow on trees. We hear Bill Belichick say that all the time when he's talking about these bigger bodies that move really well. Diaby would, would certainly seem to be fitting of that sure. kind of. And, and that's actually, he was even faster than Christian Gonzalez. <laughs> Gonzalez was a 154. He was a 151. Man. So a 263. That's stupid. Crazy. It just doesn't I make sense. Yeah, he's, the only answer is Eric, he's an alien. That's that's <laughs> you're right. That out. Yes, that's the only solution. I would also say the same of you, sir, for having as much college football information that you do rattling around in that brain of yours. You must also be an alien. Thank you so much for spending so much time with us here today. Eric Froton at CF Froton on Twitter. Make sure you follow him. Make sure you're getting all the draft analysis you can handle. NBC Sports Eric, thanks so much for being with us, man. This was phenomenal. We got to have you back on again soon. I'd be more than happy to go Pats. I'm a Boston boy by, by birth. Want nothing more than to see the Patriots succeed. Let's, let's figure out, let's figure out a day post draft. Doesn't have to be right after, but I want to get, I want to get a little bit of uh, an Eric Froton breakdown on the Patriots draft once that thing comes and goes. So let's try to figure out a time to, uh, to chat with you again later this spring. Sound good. Lock it down. Done. Done and done. Eric, thanks so much, buddy. Thank you, Phil. Awesome stuff there. From Eric, loved having him on. Great energy, great insight. He's just got he's got so much up in that brain about all of these day three players. And how about that story, Bill Belichick? Just absolutely giving it to these players before they get back on the field, saying there's not a single person in here who's going to be able to make my roster. You think that would motivate you before going out and, and playing in your All Star game or taking the field for an All Star practice? Uh, I think so. And it sounds like it did. It sounds like the play was ratcheted up after that. So Bill Belichick, master mot motivator. Okay, guys, that's it for this podcast. I uh, want to preview a little bit of what's coming later this week. And next week, we have our continuing series that's going to roll out here throughout uh, the latter portion of this week. Our, our Legends Scouting School, uh, where we've got both James White and Rob Ninkovich to talk about their positions and what it takes to play those positions that third down back role and that edge defender role here in New England for Bill Belichick. And we're going to match up some player fits that fit those descriptions by those two guys. Uh, great champions for the New England Patriots and friends of the podcast. Great guys. Love having them on. Great insight. We could talk about football all day with those fellas. Next week, though, we're going to be talking about our defensive prototypes. We haven't gotten to those yet. I just want to make sure we sort of uh, clean things up on that, sort of tie up that loose end. We did the offensive prototypical Patriots that that I like the most uh, in a podcast last week. So go back and check that out if you missed it. But we'll do our defensive prototypes next week. Like I said, we're going to do our offensive fits based on that Bill Belichick scouting profile from the early 90s. Uh, we'll do that next week as well. I'll have my final mock draft next week. And we're going to have, I'm going to go ahead and call it right now. We're going to have a big name guest next week to talk to us uh, about some sort of last minute draft intel and that'll take us into the draft and then of course we'll be continuing to hammer you with content as we get to the draft and we take you through the draft thursday friday saturday all right guys thanks so much for listening to this edition of the next pats podcast thanks to eric froton thanks to everybody out there on twitter that participated in the crowdsource mock keep an eye out for our next next pats episode coming to you very soon rob ninkovich on edge defenders you don't want to miss that